It is the calm before the storm. The underwear Olympics are finally behind us. Incredibly athletic dudes went to Indianapolis and did incredibly athletic things. But what does it all mean? And does any of it matter? Uh, plus, we have the QB market finally taking shape. Pro days, free agency, fast approaching, and hopefully so are some fresh betting markets. Because that's why we're here. Let's talk about the NFL draft. We're going to unpack that all and more on this episode of Move the Line. Let's cue the music. Hello and welcome to Move the Line. I'm Ryan Newton, joined, as always, in this spot uh, as we are thirsting for some more action. Post-Combine, it is Connor Allen. How are we doing? Doing well. Uh, you know, good to be back. Good to be talking some football. The Combine was obviously awesome uh, to see, you know, all the good 40s, all the stuff going on there. But overall, I'm excited to keep uh, start betting on the draft a little bit, get a few more markets out. Joining us again, our expert mock drafter here, uh, unpacked his previous mock draft, first one on the site. Actually, Connor pulled one out on the site as well. I'm sure we'll touch base on some of the things that Connor put in his, uh, free for you to, to read over on 444.com. Uh, Scott Smith. Scott, how are we doing? Good, man. Coming in off the road. Uh, I got to watch some of the underwear Olympics and uh, unpack some of the data that's coming in and just some of the info coming out from some of the beat writers across the league. And uh, hey, we've got we've got some quarterback dominoes falling as well. So a lot to unpack today. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I think that's a big piece of it, too. And as I mentioned, like uh, we are I think we're still just before it. So, like, I don't want to throw a wet blanket on anything. I feel like we're really close feel like having the new league year, which is I th- what the 15th, we're coming to that time. I think all that really matters because we need some of these dominoes to fall. Uh, but we're close. Uh, we're close enough to definitely continue to uh, talk about what we've heard, what we've seen. Some of the things that I think come out of the combine are actionable. I just, you know, there are things out there to bet on right now. And we're going to have time to get some of the answers. Right now, it's you know, and I'm there with you. Like I comb through it all and I want to fire at some stuff. Um, have a couple of things that I want to toss to you guys that I want to maybe fire at, even though we don't necessarily know the answers. Uh, so I would say proceed with caution, continue to tune in, uh, read Connor's mock draft, go back and read Scott's, take in as much information as you can so that when we can hit the ground running uh, here in the coming days and weeks as, you know, things start to mature and information becomes a little bit more actionable. Uh, before we get into it, I want to tell you real quick, we're going to have a lot of great content. Betting subscription live on the site over at 444, 444.com slash plans. Betting sub takes you through the full year. Access to everything. If you grind season long, DFS, betting, whatever it is, other sports, college hoops, uh, NBA, lots of great stuff. Uh, that's the best way to get it. Right now, if you want to get just a taste of what we have going on and you want to get some of this draft stuff, we've partnered with Vivid. Uh, you know Vivid, Vivid Seats. Go on there and get your you know secondary tickets. Uh, Vivid also has a Pick'em app. Uh, similar to some other ones that you know out there right now. Deposit on Vivid, 15 bucks. Use our promo code 444BETS. So 444, as you see behind me, B-E-T-S, 15 bucks. And you get access for uh, three months, Connor? Three months betting sub uh, at 444 to get a check, you know, get your feet wet. It'll take you through all the stuff, obviously, we have going on on the betting side right now through the draft, which is uh, – Going to be an exciting time. So uh, I'll kick it to you, Connor. Let me know what you think. Give me some of your takeaways. We can get into some position by position stuff. But, you know, yeah, I think you can make the case that the combine is a little bit nonsense. We know some guys don't do everything. You know, we got Bryce Young on the scale. You know, he checked in over 200 pounds, drank a shitload of water. Um, you know, if you thought Bryce Young was too small, you probably still think he's too small. If you like Bryce Young, you probably still like Bryce Young, even though, he, you know, he made this, you know, arbitrary threshold of weight. But what are some actionable things that you think came out of Indy last week? Yeah, well, I guess something that's less actionable, but something that's worth noting here would be Anthony Richardson's just like meteoric rise up uh, in the draft odds. Just two weeks ago, he was 50 to one. Now we're looking at like three to one, four to one in most places. Uh, there was a mock that came out with the Colts trading up to one to select Anthony Richardson from a beat writer before the combine. Then he goes to the combine, runs in the four fours, you know, is obviously, you know, six, four, two forty four, insane athlete. I mean, this is one of the best athletic performances that we've seen essentially of all time at the combine, but it's almost double counting. It is like, we knew he was athletic. If you go watch the tape, I mean, he's running away from dudes. He's bowling over guys. Like he does. He, he does look like Cam Newton at times when he was at Auburn. Like those, those are things where, you know, 
we know those existed, but then we see him do it at the combine and now everyone's double counting, getting excited, steaming to that number one market. Um, I'd be interested in Scott's take here, but for me, I am not chasing Anthony Richardson's team. I think that he's a fine player. He's a project. The upside's there, but based on what we're hearing, it doesn't seem very substantive with the steam right now. It seems mostly just kind of double counting based off that combine. Scott, do you need your quarterback to have a 10 foot, nine inch broad jump? <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, you, you look at the successful quarterbacks over the years and, and Tom Brady's and guys like that aren't doing anything close to that. I think the guys that uh, that were on Anthony Richardson are still on Anthony Richardson, but I don't think he's there. He He's just not going to be the first quarterback pick. There's still holes in his game. Everything that we thought about Anthony Richardson before the draft is still, the, I mean, before the combine is still sitting there the same. We knew he was going to test well much better than what the rest of the quarterbacks in this draft class were going to test. And to me, I actually think that Bryce Young weighing in where he weighed in at is bigger than anything that Anthony Richardson did at the combine. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I, I like that take. Um, I, you know, we, again, we'll have pro day Alabama. We'll, you know, script that and schedule that out under the perfect conditions, reading some you know, reports. Uh, it was scouts thought it was actually a pretty good thing that he didn't go and throw. Uh, in comparison to like a massive beast of Anthony Richardson or even Will Levis. And obviously CJ Stroud went out and had himself a nice week because I think some of the things that people like about Bryce Young and how they think he translates to the NFL, his ability to throw, uh, you know, off balance and off scripts and, you know, creating, that's not going to show up in the structure of the combine. So uh, the pro days are going to matter too. Again, those are always interesting and I think are important, uh, but it makes sense that, you know, Hey, what's he going to weigh? He's probably not going to weigh in. Again, at Alabama's pro day, he already weighed in. He he, he got the, the thresholds. Uh, he met the 204, and I was feeling pretty good about it. But it's, it's definitely an interesting takeaway, considering, like, we knew this dude was huge and fast, Richardson, right? Like, it's incredible to see. There, We're seeing some things that we've never seen before. But, like, there, I think there are still some limitations in terms of him being a pocket passer. To Connor's point, we've moved, right? We've moved from 30 to 3. If you missed, if you had the 30, congratulations. You, you were sitting at three with really no other information other than he went out and did what we thought he was going to do. If we really get to a point where there is a trade to the number one spot and it becomes clear that he is the target and that moves very quickly and that moves to minus 200, I, I will make the case that I think betting into the minus 200 with some information is way better than sitting here firing into the plus 300 when – I think you can make a case for all four dudes and maybe Will Elvis is slipping out of that mix, but like, I don't know. It just takes one, right? The one team that trades up is identify Will Levis as the guy. I think they're all in the mix, Connor. I don't know what your thoughts are there. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I really think that right now laying any kind of juice is probably the worst bet on the board. Um, and so Bryce Young for me is not a good bet at this point, even though I think he's probably the most likely to go number one. We just don't know. And then beyond that too, like chasing the scene with Anthony Richardson just doesn't make sense like we have no idea other than what we've already seen and there's been a lot of rumors like oh you know coaches like this guy or or gms are fascinated with his upside you know those are quotes that have been pulled out from different sources if we like look at the teams in the top 10 here none of them are really there's only two teams that i see that are really equipped to handle a guy that has the upside and really capitalize on that and that to me that's the seahawks and the lions because they have a quarterback in place that can sit and they can let Anthony Richardson sit for a year. I mean, imagine if he goes to the Texans and plays week one. He's going to get wrecked. Like, I think a great example and some like an easy comparison for listeners to understand would be if you watch Justin Fields when he played for like a couple weeks in his rookie rookie year, it was a complete disaster. Like it was a train wreck. He wasn't reading everything. And Justin Fields was a significantly better passer in college than Anthony Richardson was. And like still was, I mean, relatively lost because he didn't have anyone around him. He didn't have a scheme around him. He didn't have, like he wasn't able to translate that right away and needed a lot of work. And like, that's going to be like what Anthony Richardson is, except like double, like double the the issues, I think, which is a really scary to think about. And he's just going to have to rely on his real athleticism. Yes. And Scott, it doesn't sound like he necessarily wild people in the interview section. Um, you know, I think maybe in terms of like whiteboard, he's probably four of the four. Um, and I think that that matters. You know, we've seen it less and less over the last handful of years, guys going at or near the top, sitting a little bit. Connor just referenced, you know, Justin Fields. You know, we had Trey Lance obviously sat for a while. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield, I think is the last 101 that I can think of that didn't start for, you know, it's his team right away. We definitely know that, again, teams are getting smarter. They know they have to capitalize on that rookie window and being able to basically redshirt a guy for a year 
he's that dude uh teams are probably willing to do it it's just is it's a it's one of those picks where your basically job is on the line right if it doesn't land yeah and i, I think that's the case for both the gms and the coaches in this position um and, and you you really just have to look at where he's at developmentally as a passer you know he, you look at the quarterbacks that compare to him and you look at lamar jackson we talked about lamar jackson and where he's at Lamar Jackson was a lot further along as a passer and able to do a lot of the things, albeit with a smaller frame than what Anthony Richardson has. But I, I still say the same thing that we said on last show. He's still a year or two away, and it's going to take the right team that has both the GM and the, and the coach on a solid footing to go ahead and take him to wait because you're not getting four years or five years of production on this rookie contract. You're getting three, maybe. And that's what you're going to have to make a decision. And there's some coaches drafting here and some GMs drafting here in the top 10 that don't have that luxury of being able to sit for the, that one or two years and wait for that production. So uh, I look at it and specifically when you start talking about Anthony Richardson, where he was in mock drafts pre-combine, he was sitting around 10, 11 spot. Right now, after the combine, mock drafts are shifting. A lot of people got hyped up about his production and what he did at the combine. And now he's sitting with in, in combines at an average pick of 5.6 right now. So they've moved him up into the top six range. So I, I could see him there with a team like Seattle, with a team like Detroit, right there in that five to six range. But I absolutely do not buy the steam, do not buy the juice that he's moving up and will be a top overall pick there. So it, it's a it's a bet that I'm staying away from. I think when we start talking about that first overall pick, it's going to be very much team dependent. But I think you're really looking at e either C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. And until we know, Connor, it's really hard to continue to speculate. But let's bring up uh, the number one pick odds onto the screen here. If you're listening in audio uh, podcast form, we appreciate it. Uh, rate and review while you're there uh, helps us a ton. We're also doing this on YouTube as well, and we can show you uh, some of the cool tools and stuff that we have. On our back end, uh, we have a new tool that just launched that we can uh, show you basically an odds board where you can get the best odds all in one screen. Domestics only, of course, uh, but it gives you an idea of kind of where we're at in the market. And what Connor continues to reference is, you know, laying any any juice at this point. Bryce Young across the board is, you know, minus 134 on points bets, the best number to be the first overall pick. And I think I agree with Connor's point there that holding off and laying juice until we really know who's making that pick is probably uh, advised. You can see the movement here. CJ Stroud is the other kind of the bell of the ball in terms of what happened last week in Indy, just very safe checked out, uh, you know, in terms of the size that we were looking for, maybe not the athlete uh, that an Anthony Richardson is, or even maybe a Will Levis, but deep ball accuracy was pretty fantastic. He's moved quite a bit as well. Uh, any takeaways here, Connor, I know you're not necessarily firing into this market right now, but uh, how would you approach it? Yeah, my two small positions that I have right now is I took a little bit of CJ Stroud at plus 400. I took a little bit of Will Levis at 16 to 1 right now. I think that's still fine. Uh, like, I mean, I'm talking about a really small chunk of change here if you want to speculate on the market. Because if you look at the uh, pro day schedule here, I believe uh, something that Scott's been keeping track of here and just notified me of is that we see Ohio State's pro day first. So if you do want to action on Bryce Young or you want action on someone else, generally the way these markets work is right after the pro day, you're going to get a ton of reports, you know, be like, hey, this guy, every team loves this guy. You know, look at how good he was in the pro day. Look at how amazing he is, you know, and then the, the, the odds move accordingly because a lot of it's just steam based uh, until there's information and there won't be information for, uh, you know, a month and a half at this point, probably a month or so. So. If you want a Bryce Young, if you want, you know, an Anthony Richardson, I would wait until the pro day and you can wait till CJ Stroud's odds get juiced up a little bit. And, but then we're getting Alabama's pro day the next day. So you have a short window. You have like a, I don't know what, six hour window, probably six to 10 hour window at night uh, where you'll be able to get it. So that's probably my biggest takeaway and something that it's just a little key there for draft betting that wait till the pro days, the most hype is right after their pro day. Like that is like the peak of every player's hype. We're going to all get the clip. They're going to run that like play action bootleg, um, you know, on the run throw. That's an absolute laser down the middle of the field to, you know, some little dude in shorts and a t-shirt running uncovered. Uh, it's going to be a dime and people are going to just go nuts. It's just like an annual thing. It's the Zach Wilson throw, you know, it's solidified Zach Wilson. And it's like, how did that work out? But it's coming. I promise. We're definitely seeing it. We'll see it for all these dudes. And uh, you know, I understand 
we're excited. So I don't mean to be a wet blanket on anyone's excitement around some of these things. I just think it's like, you got to be careful. You just got to, whenever you, you know, just because it's there doesn't mean we have to yet. Uh, we will get, you know, some answers to the test at some point. And I think proceeding with caution is probably the right way to do it. I still think at this point, looking at that board, I still think Will Levis is probably the best way to get in on, on the top. Like you just can have a team identify him as being their guy. And I don't think there's a, a massive differentiator between all of them. And uh, he's the best odds on the board, the longest odds. So um, again, it, just, it takes one team. Uh, we have, you know, again, we've talked about early, we have some quarterback free agency shifting, but we still have these teams, you know, the Texans, which, and we can get to that. There's been reports that, Hey, Texans aren't an obvious play to take a quarterback, which seems unlikely, but maybe right. The Texans, the Colts, uh, the Panthers, you know, you, I, we don't know what a bunch of these other teams are going to do as well. Like there are a handful of, uh, you know, the Raiders need a quarterback. Um, so it feels like there are clear sets, but if one of them wants to move up to get one to identify their guy, it could be, it could be all of them, right? Just a couple of years ago, we removed from it definitely being Mac Jones. The Niners made the trade, everyone lost their mind and it was going to be Mac Jones. And we, everyone thought they liked Justin Fields, but then it's like, oh no, it ended up being Trey Lance. And we just, I think we're still kind of in this, this a little bit of silly phase of not knowing. And at that point, if you feel inclined that you have to bet in this market, I would say proceed with caution, sprinkle like Connor said, and look for the longest odds on the board. I, so. I do want to say too, uh, you know, shout out to us because Will Levis on our last episode was plus like 500 to be the number one pick. And we all said like, hey, like hold on a little bit. You'll get better odds. I didn't think we'd ever see a 16 to one again, but like at this point, you know, like I, I mean, again, like, you know, worth like a, a little, little shot here, but I do want to touch on the one thing you mentioned there. And I want Scott's opinion. There was thoughts on, like they said the Houston Texans came out and were like, Hey, like, well, they might not take a quarterback. To me, that seems like fluff. Like to me, that seems like total BS. Um, just given where they're at as a franchise. Are you buying that at all, Scott? No. Uh, I mean, you looked at what they did last year and how anemic that offense was and, and the pieces that they need. And they're just not in a position to ride another year the way that they rode last year. Um, and and you look at the quarterbacks that they have on the board right now. I think there's a, a strong case for, you know, either Stroud or, or Bryce Young to to be there in that, that top two. I, I think it, it's just a little bit of fluff you know, to, to entice some of these teams to come in and make highball offers and think that, hey, you know, if, say, Bryce Young's the top overall pick and another team really values C.J. Stroud, it could be Houston, who may have a higher, a higher valuation on Will Levis, but is willing to move down a couple of spots and take a guy like Levis and recoup a lot of a draft stock to go ahead and move down and do so. So I think when you start hearing some of these things, that's what you have to start looking at is, you know, does a team like Houston have maybe a higher grade on Levis than what they do on some of these other quarterbacks or a marginal, you know, threshold in between how they grade these guys that could have a similar grade on two guys and they're willing to take the, the one that's lower if that means, you know, recouping more draft stock. Also with the Texans too, if we go back to last year, uh, you know, one of Casario's kind of first – uh, substantial drafts. We did not know shit until like an, 24 hours before the draft where they're like, Oh, could be Derek Stingley. And I believe it was Lance Zierlein. So that's going to be kind of my go-to guy for Texan stuff this year, because a lot of the local guys were wrong. I mean, across the board, including the jets and other places as well. But he was the one I believe who got the first scoop was like, Hey, like I'm hearing Derek Stingley is very much in play. And all of us kind of, I mean, we didn't discount it. We got on the 40 to one, you know, because the odds were 40 to one. One of the best but, tickets of the week of the weekend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Walker Hutch Stingley 40 to one was incredible. But at the same time, like it just goes to show, like we're hearing this now means nothing. Like to me, it means nothing. I agree. I think it's posturing. The pushback would be that division's kind of garbage, right? They could probably be serviceable, but do they even want to? Because there's a clear prize at the end of next season right and if you need a quarterback putting yourself in position to you know draft Caleb Williams is just it is different so again I it's it's a hard sell it's a hard sell to you know ownership um you know the first year coach for sure you know a, a GM who's you know maybe fighting to keep his job it's a little bit harder of a sell um so I do think it's posturing to you know Connor and Scott's point but uh I think it is important to understand like what's there at the end of the tunnel leveraging to get one of these guys to get the fourth of these guys, whoever you think that is, because someone's going to get the fourth of them, right? Like they are going to tell you absolutely that that was their number one quarterback on the board, regardless of what happens, right? Whoever takes the guy number four, 
well, we didn't have to move up to get him because we knew. But like, it's just very different next year where there feels like a real layup uh, in comparison to what's happened the last couple of years at the quarterback position, really, right? Yeah. Outside of right, Trevor Lawrence, we knew that was happening. You know, Caleb feels like the same kind of guy. 100%. But I think in an, an ideal world, you're totally right. You tank, you know, you're like from a long-term perspective, you have a very clear plan. Okay, get the number one pick next year. But I think Davis Mills and Lovey Smith might have something to say about that after this year when they're they went three, two, spot. and one in the division last year. <laughs> three, two, and one in that division with that oh, coach man. and all that. Yeah. So like they might not even be able to tank because the rest of the division is so bad. Yeah. I, I, it's just like obviously in theory, it sounds great, but it's just something that's like so hard to do in practice. Like you think D'Amico Ryan's going to come in there and be like, oh, yeah, sure. I'm on board with that. Like you need like five years of job security to do, to be willing to do that. And I, I mean, I don't think anyone in the NFL has that outside of a couple of people. So, other big shift and probably you know a highlight that happened from the combine uh, was at the wide receiver position. It was a position that we think is you know it's it's down in comparison to other seasons, uh, pretty frequently. And we know early in the mock season, it is a lot of cut and paste. Right? There's just we don't have a lot of fully formed opinions. We don't have a lot of you know information. And again, want to stress free agency goes a long way in shaping these team needs. Uh, very often we were seeing Quentin Johnston, the big wide receiver from TCU, being the first wide receiver in most mock drafts. I think it became very clear over the weekends with the testing and some of the things that we saw from Jackson Smith and Jigba that he is pr- very likely the first wide receiver off the board that is now reflected, as you can see here, looking at our odds table in the marketplace. Uh, obviously, we had some concerns about JSN after not playing a full season last year, some size concerns, how would he fit? Um, and I think that's kind of, I think indicative of this entire class is I think these guys are, you know, more so than just plug and play wide receiver ones. Some of these guys are a little bit more scheme dependent, but I think what JSN did was pretty impressive. Scott, I don't know what your takeaways were the three cone stuff. I think some of that could be nonsense uh, in terms of like what position is doing it. It doesn't, it matters at the wide receiver position. And he went out there and was electric in testing. Yeah, I, I think he answered a lot of questions and reminded people of who he was. He came in, measured a little bit bigger than I thought he was, six six foot and five eighth inches, 196 pounds. But when we start talking about that three cone drill, especially for guys that work out of the slot, 6.57 seconds. And then uh, came in with the 20 yard short shuttle, 3.93 seconds. That's 96th and 97th percentile testing at the wide receiver position for two drills that we do see, you know, it, it, it suggests that you're going to have success there at that level. You start looking into some of the fantasy analytics that we look at with, you know, when they have a breakout and things like that, he's got that on his side. So I, I think he did himself well in, in the biggest, one of the biggest jumps that we, we see here. And look, even from a mock draft standpoint, his numbers are going up. So he's actually overtaken Jordan Addison in a lot of mock drafts as a second wide receiver taken. We're talking about, you know, the argument, is he going to be the first? I, I think you can argue that. Quentin Johnston weighed in and measured a little bit smaller than what some people thought. He was listed at 6'4 at, at Texas uh, Christian, but uh, he came in at 6'2 at the combine. So there is some argument there for, for Jackson Smith and Jigba and what he did. And I think that's some hype that's going to roll over into his pro day. Is this bettable right now, Connor? Plus, 20, plus 125 on FanDuel. No, uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think that this is a little bit of an overreaction. I, I thought that it, I mean, again, before the combine, he was like plus 300, plus 400 to be the first wide receiver. And then he didn't run the 40. Uh, Addison just did and then hurt himself by doing that because Addison was the favorite at like minus 110 heading into the combine. And so right now, I think it's notable. Daniel Jeremiah actually bumped Addison up somehow in his rankings, has a ninth overall in his top 50. Uh, and generally, Daniel Jeremiah's rankings are a blend of what he's hearing from teams in addition to his own evaluations. Now, he was higher on him before the combine as well. But if we look at Jordan Addison, like his route running is really smooth. Sam Hoppin, uh, you know, kind of did a blend of route running versus man, route running versus zone and like put a chart together. JSN sophomore season was incredible, like broke the chart. But Jordan Addison season, uh, the last season was incredible as well. So we're looking at plus 550 at DraftKings. I mean, if I have to play this market, I'm not currently playing it. If I have to play it, I think that's probably where I go. Plus 550 for Addison or even further down the board at plus 750 at DraftKings on Zay Flowers has been getting a ton of hype as well. But personally, I think I think Njigba should be the favorite. I think he's likely to be the favorite. But uh, I just I'm not willing to lay juice right now with such a situation where you don't have like these guys aren't going like top six, top ten. Like you don't have penciled in 
slots for them. There's so much more volatility after you get outside of like the first 10 picks because a team could trade up and really love a guy and pick them over, over JSN. So uh, for me, it's kind of a stay away in this market. Yeah, that's understandable. I get it. You make a good point. I mean, it, it shifted, but uh, maybe too much. The, the one thing that I think is interesting here is that we go out and we have some great testing and thought some of the movement stuff is incredible, but it becomes like Brian Hartline, former you know NFL receiver, now the wide receiver coach at Ohio State. Even the guys that played with him, Olave, Garrett Wilson, are like, but again, it's not unlikely or uncommon for a guy to go to bat for is dude who things of what they're saying um you know i don't know do you make anything to that scott with some of the stuff that's coming out of ohio state and the love that jsn is getting no i mean look the, the, the ohio state guys tout for the ohio state guys i mean it's the ohio state you know they, they, they're gonna go ahead and, and do that and it's it's the same thing you've seen even with the alabama guys like you had a lot of the alabama guys even with Tua and what Tua was doing, the wide receivers that were coming out of Alabama were, were all touting for Mac Jones when it was Mac Jones' turn to, to come in through the draft. So that's just something that's going to go ahead and happen. And I think when you start looking at, at some of these, these players and, and where they're going and, and what's happening, like a lot of the movement that you're seeing is coming from guys and coming from people in the media that aren't necessarily as tuned in as some of the other people. I, I don't think some of these big swings that you have, even with guys with Jackson Smith and, and Jigba, like the hype that he's getting post-combine, I, I, I don't think that the combine did that much to go ahead and, and move any front offices to, to move him 10 picks. You know, I, I always kind of say it's a, it's a plus minus five picks as far as like movement goes. It, you're not going to have a player really jump from being – a mid-20s prospect to be in a top-10 prospect. So I still think as far as Jackson Smith and Jigba, did he did he do extra stuff at the Combine that can go ahead and, and move him to be in the first wide receiver drafted? I think there is a little bit there that you can look into. But as far as him having a drastic movement in the first round and having you know some of the stuff that's coming out of Ohio State, those guys are going to tout, and, and it's not going to move the needle with the front office. The things that move the needle with front offices are things that we're not privy to, and a lot of that comes with interviews at the Combine. That's the most important thing that happens at the Combine, other than medical information that we don't have access to. That's like the heart of how it started. It just was like a, a place to like poke and prod and like accept, legally get ways to get their uh, their medical information and like – well, might as well have him run some routes while we're here. You know, like we're going to go to dinner for a little bit. We got all their medicals. Let's have them come here together and do some stuff. So uh, interesting times. So let's shift really quick to the defensive side. I think some of the biggest news since we last met was, was the Jalen Carter situation, the defensive tackle out of Georgia. Obviously, if uh, unless you've been you know living under a rock for a week. I mean, if, if you're plugged into this show and you don't know what happened with Jalen Carter, it's a very weird Venn diagram, but – Obviously, some legal issues that's happened and shifted first defensive player market. We jumped on it right away, Connor, when it first came out because we thought that the, the Will Anderson number uh, at like plus 340 was just really off when it felt like there was still more of a coin flip situation in terms of who was going to end up taking and making that pick uh, in terms of the needs at the top of the board. You know, even with the Bears, if the Bears were to theoretically, worst case scenario, stay home and make a pick, which again, doesn't feel likely, but um, you know, now we've obviously seen a shift, but again, as these things kind of do, they've softened a little bit. looks like Carter maybe end up dodging the real legal bullets here. Obviously people lost their lives. So I don't want to be insensitive. Again, we're a draft uh, betting show here. So again, I, I know what happened. It's a terrible situation. And uh, Carter obviously did something that he, I'm sure he regrets. Hopefully, um, how does it impact him, Connor, in terms of you know draft slots uh, and in terms of the betting market? Yeah, this is tough because, uh, you know, Bob McGinn came out today and he does a great job kind of surveying people and said like, oh, like NFL teams don't really care about this, you know, and that's uh, I'm, I wouldn't doubt that, you know, I think to some extent, almost certainly true, because it looks like his legal issues are probably done at this point. But I think the concerns with most teams are is like, OK, well, am I picking this guy, you know, who's probably more talented or arguably more talented than Will Anderson uh, at his position. Um, but like, he's not necessarily clean because there was other rumors beforehand about character issues there. Plus, if you look at the situation, I mean, it's not about what he did or didn't do. It's about like 
everyone there was drunk. Everyone there was driving. Like to me, like from an outsider's perspective, that's probably going to cause a lot of red flags for a lot of teams. Uh, and so like, you know, I think that that is another issue that some teams might find now, if they don't care about that, which again, they might not, the NFL is very much a profit oriented business. Um, you know, I think that he's very much in play to still be like a top five, six pick. Personally, I think that he, this probably makes him fall behind uh, Tyree Wilson and Will Anderson. He's like right in that range. He can go anywhere after that. I had him falling all the way to 12, but I, I think that's too far, you know, in my latest mock. I think that he's probably more in that like six to 10 range. Um, that being said, you know, Tyree Wilson also came out talking about two Jones fractures in uh, his each of his feet. So like if his medicals don't check out, I mean, Tyree Wilson could fall down again, but he got pumped up pretty early in draft season where like people knew about this. Um, you know, teams were saying that he, you know, multiple media members said that he was the next like Trayvon Walker kind of eccentric. So I'm kind of holding on to that. I think Tyree Wilson's still ahead of Jalen Carter, but I think it's a little bit closer because I, I'm starting to think the Carter stuff just like doesn't matter as much anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. Scott, what are your takeaways on how the Carter movement and all that's going on there? Yeah. As soon as this information came out and, and I did a little bit of digging into it, as soon as I saw it was misdemeanors. I didn't think there was going to be that much movement. Um, there, there's some other things behind the scene with the interview process. Um, and you talked about the Bob McGinn article. It, it, it came out basically that, you know, he, he's not a guy that, that gives 100% effort on every play. You know, he does loaf and get by on, on some of his physical attributes and things of that nature. But as far as the actual legal implications, he immediately left the combine, answered to things. It ended up being two misdemeanors. I don't want to downplay the the real life situation of what happened because, like you said, some lives were lost in it. But as far as the NFL concerns, this isn't a situation that's going to have him missing any significant amount of time, his rookie year or anything of that nature. Um, and you've seen the NFL have much harsher incidents that happen and, and not be as concerned about it. To I think they charged him with uh, a reckless driving and racing or, or something of that nature which he answered to two misdemeanors. I just don't think it's going to move his, his draft stock. The biggest issue with it, I think it does kind of solidify Will Anderson. Um, Tyree Wilson is, is is moving up the boards. I, I had him slotted at five um, to Seattle in, in my initial mock draft. And, and I, I think you could see him jump Jalen Carter, but I still think the biggest information out of this is going to be Will, Will Anderson kind of being solidified as that first defensive player off the board. Yeah, feel pretty good about that one too, uh, regardless of what happens. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a good place to be. And uh, again, part of why you want to jump into the uh, the Discord over at four four because uh, that is something that we hey, so we've been thirsty. We got a, a, a lot of like minded folks that are dying for these markets to populate. And if Connor and I or Scott don't catch it first, uh, there's a chance that one of our subscribers finds it pretty quickly after it uh, populates. So you know, we're able to get down on that three forty on. Anderson and feel like uh, that's some some warm closing line value uh, in these last cold days of March to keep you warm until the draft gets here. Uh, yeah. What the, are the other uh, markets? Oh, okay. go ahead, Connor. Um, I was going to say what it. I just for the last thing related to this market is that uh, something that I've been thinking about a lot is that I think there's a chance both the Bears and the Cardinals trade down, and this market becomes very sloppy then because. I feel pretty confident that the Bears, you know, would take one of these guys. I feel pretty confident that the Cardinals would take one of these kind of defensive linemen. But Seattle, I have no idea. You know, we they've been slotted that that way, but I think that there's not such a chance they wouldn't. Detroit at six, would they take the first corner off the board? I mean, those are right now are like fifty to one. You know, for Christian Gonzalez, maybe even way more for Devin Witherspoon if somehow he got taken there. Um, I there's like. I think just there's could be a lot happening here. So like, I don't want to lay the, I think Will Anderson is rightfully the favorite given the board we have now, like by maybe it's a little short if the board were to stay where it's at right now, like if there's no trades. Um, but uh, overall, like I think that there's could be a lot of volatility if we see trades at three and at one. I mean, I'm here for, for Witherspoon at six to Detroit. You know this. Um, I think that that's a fantastic pick. I think he fits their scheme even a little bit better. I know Christian Gonzalez went out, and we're going to talk about the cornerback market here, uh, and went out and had a great combine. But also, like, kind of double counting. No one expected Christian Gonzalez to not go out and have a great combine. Um, I have seen some scouts talk about their concerns about his ability to get involved in the running game defensively. Uh, whereas that is not on Devin Witherspoon's tape. Uh, that is not in uh, Devin Witherspoon's meetings, apparently. So three to one for Witherspoon to be the first cornerback off the board. 
Uh, Gonzalez is the favorite. FanDuel is the best current number, uh, minus 195. I think Witherspoon is the play here. I have not fired this market, but again, I, I just, I, I, I think it's way too close. So this is to me reminiscent of a little bit of that initial market that we just talked about with Carter and Will Anderson, where I feel like it probably should be closer to a coin flip. I understand why Gonzalez should maybe be the favorite, but I don't think that there should be this large of a discrepancy. And it feels based off talking to some other folks that they kind of have pulled away even a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this kind of being maybe a three-guy race. People think Joey Porter Jr. is probably more scheme-specific. Uh, he seems to be falling into maybe the teens in that range a little bit more than making a case to be a top-10 guy, which I think you can make the case for both Gonzalez and Witherspoon being. So, Scott, any thoughts on the cornerback market? Yeah, I think it's a it's a two-horse race there between Gonzalez and Witherspoon for the, the first one to come off the board. Um, I, I think a lot of it is going to be – very scheme specific. Uh, you know, Gonzalez is going to be the bigger play, the bigger player there. Um, Witherspoon's a little bit undersized, but like what you what you see on tape with him, he can do it all. I mean, he can do everything that you want out of this. Um, right now in the mock draft market, you know, we, we, you've got Gonzalez sitting around pick eight point five and Witherspoon at like thirteen point three. So right now the mock draft market still has Gonzalez a, a little bit ahead. I personally lean a little bit more towards Gonzalez, but it's a little bit more of a personal preference than anything. Um, but sitting here looking at, at the, these numbers, it, it's not a play that I would look to make with, with Gonzalez at minus 195 and minus 220, respectively, on uh, FanDuel and DraftKings. So I, I think for now, it's definitely something uh, from a betting standpoint that you can stay away from as far as Gonzalez is concerned. Yeah, I would almost rather wait until I would almost rather wait until we get like a team specific market because I think Witherspoon to the Lions makes a ton of sense you know if that happens he will be the first corner drafted but you'll get much better odds than plus 300 so if you know like I would probably rather play that than play the plus 300 right now on first cornerback drafted because if we look at you know Witherspoon played 75 percent plus man coverage at uh Illinois and the Lions were like top six in man coverage rate in the NFL um, so I think schematically, not to mention any super physical, you know, like very, you know, maybe not stature wise, but just in his play style. Uh, and so I think that could be a great fit. I know Newton's talked about it before as well. But other than that, like, I think most teams probably prefer Christian Gonzalez. So like, I think the odds are right. It's just that maybe if the Lions decide to go corner, it wouldn't surprise me to be Witherspoon. So I don't know. Um, I think that like, I would probably just wait, but I do think that you're right, Scott, that Gonzalez is probably the play just maybe a better odds if you can wait a little bit another one that we obviously are still waiting for we don't have yet is the uh, number of corners in the first round um and you know just some other guys that are down towards the bottom of this list that you can see here on the odd screen some of them went out and had really good combines uh and that could be very interesting you know i think you know deontay banks uh, probably out of maryland made himself some money with a really nice combine i know some teams i've heard some people talk um rave reviews for Clark Phillips again probably not in the discussion for first overall but like again you know Kelly Ringo was definitely during the college football season kind of you know earmarked as one of the top uh, corners on the board here some people really like Cam Smith some people think Emmanuel Forbes you know has incredible ball skills and he has you know some pretty good highlights out there too so it's going to be very interesting to see what that number comes out at um how was Brian Branch classified uh, and I think that's a big one too. We we ran into that a little bit in years past with worried about safety corner. Feels like Branch could be a sneaky corner, even though he mostly played safety. Be interesting to see if what teams want him to do. But I think that speaks to his versatility as a player. But again, like the tapes may be better than the measurables, and maybe he's falling in some spots too because he's not overly tall, not overly fast, um, didn't weigh in uh, massively. But it looks like he's going to be classified as a corner that safety market in a pretty poor safety class could be interesting depending on uh, what that opens up at when those, uh, when those numbers come out. So overall, probably one of the deeper positions in this draft, which isn't necessarily a great draft overall from a depth standpoint. So I got to be interesting to watch. What would you set the over under at? Like, uh, I don't know, either of you guys have an idea, like four and a half, like is the normal, but it looks like there's like six, seven guys who could realistically go. Yeah, for me, looking at just who I have here in, in the top 50, and it, it's dependent upon how, how you're going to classify uh, Branch, um, I, I've got six cornerbacks um, in the first round um, with, with first-round grades. We're talking Gonzalez, Witherspoon, Porter, and then 
Keila Ringo, Banks, and then Cam Smith with Phillips looking on the outside. The other guys that you kind of look at, uh, Antonio Johnson, is going to be classified as a safety. So those are guys that I'm looking at. I think that number might end up being right there around that five and a half. The interesting part is, again, this is what it comes down to, is trying to shape what happens at the back end of the first round. And it's tough because oftentimes – you know, we'll make those bets based off of those teams' needs. And we often see a lot of movement and shifting in those late-round picks too, which is which is tricky. Sometimes it's worked in our favor. Eric Stokes uh, comes to mind where we needed – yeah, I think it's going to be right around there, four and a half, five and a half. And the other thing you really have to start looking at when you're talking about some of these DBs and betting some of these over and unders on, on a positional like sense is you have to start looking at what other positions have the depth in the draft or lack of depth that's going to force, you know, a player that might be a second round type of talent, but if the depth's not there behind them, gets drafted a little bit early in the back end of the first round. Um, edge is, is another position that you can kind of look at in this draft that may have some players that might be second round grades get pushed into that first round because of the depth and because of the talent that's there on the back half and the back end of the first round. So I, I think when you start betting this defensive back number, I think these defensive backs are going to be directly up against the talent of the, the the defensive line and those edge positions there for those last five to six picks of the first round. That is a great, great segue transition to the tight end position because the tight ends market is very interesting. Um, Want to get your guys' thoughts on what you think that number comes out at in terms of first off the board? Uh, we have Michael Mayer out in Notre Dame, just a massive human being, uh, huge hands. I think uh, people you know, loved him in meetings, and you know, he was able to play well throughout a lot of changes in Notre Dame, through a lot of you know inconsistent quarterback play, and, and continue to be one of the stalwarts in their offense. Dalton Kincaid is, you know, I think pretty clearly the number two. Uh, but maybe not because um, Darnell Washington out of Georgia went out and had himself a pretty wild combine. He's moved quite a bit. And again, this is a freakishly huge human being, uh, 6'7", 264, 11-inch hands, which are like, that's a lot of hands. I mean, like 9-inch hands are big. 11-inch hands are insane. They didn't ask him to do a lot in terms of catching the football and running routes at Georgia. Uh, you know, Brock Bowers is a nice tight end prospect that they had there, and he's pretty much what everyone thinks about in terms of, you know, Georgia tight ends. But big guy, 464, 40 for a, a huge human being like that. This is the sixth fastest among tight ends. And then some of these guys are a little bit, you know, slighter in terms of their builds. Uh, big broad jump, big 20 yard sh like shuffle. Like, I don't know. He is a specimen. Um, but again, like, does he feel like that type of dude that's going to work his way into the first round? I don't know. It's tricky. What are your thoughts, Connor? I think he goes first round. I think I'm pretty confident that he goes towards like, I mean, I mean, people are talking about him as a tight end one. I don't think he gets that high, but I think in like any time from the twenties, like he's, I think he's in play. Um, I would want him to go to Detroit just so he can like hold his hand up to Jared Goff and you know, like wrap his hands like over them because uh, Goff's got, you know, little baby hands. But no, I, I think that there's a, an underrated tight end spot as well that I started when I started breaking it down a little bit. The Washington Commanders at 16 with hiring Eric Bieniemy, uh to be their offensive coordinator, who's, you know, leveraged, obviously, you know, Travis Kelsey for a long time, uh, you know, I think would be a pretty interesting spot for a team that, I mean, desperately needs playmakers essentially across the board. So if they value the tight end position versus the wide receiver position a little bit more, um, you know, they have at least McLaurin, they have you know, a couple other guys that can make plays on there, but I mean, they need, they need a lot of help across the board. So I, I had Dalton Kincaid slotted there, but really I think Michael Mayer as well could very well be the first, you know, tight end off the board. I think right now it's probably a coin flip for those guys. Um, I'm not at the point where I would be comfortable taking both and just like profiting the juice, but, you know, I think that it's, I mean, I don't think it's, it's the worst, the worst thing ever is taking a stab on either. If you get a kind of a good vibe of where one's going. Yeah. I think when you look at Washington, um, I, they, they've got Logan Thomas, who's battled injuries, you know, last couple of years. I think he's, he's a, a good cut candidate um, for, for Washington and Washington has been in play. Um, disclaimer, I'm, I'm a Washington commanders fan. Um, it's been a, a rough number of years being a Washington fan. So they're a team that I keep up with quite a bit. Um, and and the, the news around them and that's coming out is that they took a lot of interest at the combine and in, in interviewing a lot of these tight ends. 
So they're a team that that is going to have a lot of a lot of smoke going there. Um, the the one of the rumors that that I heard was that they're specifically looking for um, some offensive line play. Uh, Skaronski is uh, the the tackle out of Northwestern that a lot of people project more to a guard. I think they're looking for a player like that to go ahead and move down. Um, the other big tackle there out of uh, Georgia, like. Uh, he had uh, he's one of the players that I think moved up the most after the combine because I think a lot of people looked at what he did and started looking at you know his profile and how high he can move up but the word out of Washington is that I think they're looking for offensive line if that doesn't fall to them they, they could be a team that moves back recoup some more draft picks to make up for the Carson Wentz issues that they had giving up all of those picks and then taking a guy like Kincaid or taking a guy like Meyer as well in the first round um you know, I, I think you you have a good argument for three of these guys to go in in the first round. Um, Musgrave actually got cleared with uh, some of the injury issues that that he had. Um, he's another guy that's moved up, but I don't think he's necessarily going to go there in that first round. Um, but I think you have a good argument for three of these guys. That's the interesting thing, though, is that because the, and there is depth, right? So you mentioned Musgrave. Um, you know, some people love Sam Laporta. Will Mallory out of Miami uh, was pretty good. Um, you know. Zach Kuntz was like a freak testing. Like he, he broke a lot of tight end records and was, was up there as well. Just doing some freakish things for tight ends. So I think there is depth at the position, which I think is one of the reasons to say, Hey, if I really, we want to address the position in the draft, do we want to go out and just address in the first round? Or we know we're going to have a couple of seconds or we have, you know, we can address it a little later in the draft. There are some guys that aren't necessarily, huge drop-offs in terms of what we're going to be asking them to do. Cause I also think this is another position that could be scheme fit to, you know, to Connor's point with like the B enemy thing. Like, yeah. Do you want to have a move tight end like a Kincaid, like a Musgrave that fits a little bit more of the Travis Kelsey profile that really wasn't Darnell Washington in college. Um, and I think asking him to do that at the next level is going to be probably a pretty tall ask. Um, but you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. The Washington commanders thing makes sense. You got to get a, a quarterback or you got to get a tight end for uh, for Lamar Jackson, right? Because that seems like a perfect a fit made in heaven. You know, one of the interesting things about Darnell Washington and the combine this just goes to show how a lot of things work. You had a lot of clips get put up on Twitter of Darnell Washington high high pointing the, the fade routes that they were throwing there at the combine. And then you had a whole group of people on Twitter that are, you know, your, your, your couch scouts that are talking about how, how bad, how, how much his release looked like shit in, in, in the, in the, the drill itself. So, you know, it's going to be all over the place just window dressing of, of what you see from the combine from multiple standpoints. Connor, you scoffed at me with my Lamar Jackson remarks. Um, I'm not sure if the Washington commanders are, uh, strike me as a Lamar Jackson team generally, but, uh, you know, not, I would love Lamar Jackson on any team that I root for, but you know, I think just that made me laugh, you know, just picturing Lamar in a Washington, uh, reds uh, commanders uniform. Sorry. He doesn't have to move, right. He stays right there. And I, I think the theory, you know, has been floated a few times. I think it was actually even like a prank, uh, the PFT commentator that went down, but I think there is something to the narrative of Daniel Snyder, Selling the team, we know like, this was a really weird thing, right? So again, not NFL draft stuff, but just NFL stuff in relation to what matters here. Very, very strange. I don't care what you think. The Lamar Jackson non-exclusive tag came out, and a handful of teams, all of which need quarterbacks, actively came out within 10 minutes to say, we are not interested in there, right? Like So again, like collusion has been talked about a lot. People are mad about the Deshaun Watson deal, the guaranteed contract. No one would, it would be like perfect fitting Daniel Snyder, the big F you middle finger to the rest of the owners that are forcing him out essentially. Right. Cause he's not being forced out, but he kind of is being forced out. Like sell your team. Just go ahead and double down and to throw one more guaranteed contract on the board to Lamar Jackson that he's not going to have to pay for on his way out the door I think it makes a lot of sense, but I'm just saying it'd be interesting to see. I know that if I was a Commanders fan, I'd be hoping that my terrible owner both leaves and does this for us on the way out. But I, you know, I think there's something there. The collusion stuff is is kind of interesting. I mean, oh, but it was the more that I thought about it, the more it makes sense that so they they can't really make a move until the new league year starts. So they have nothing to gain for saying that we're interested in a few days. One. Too, because it, it pisses off whoever your current starter is or who whatever your situation is and like it gives the ravens 
you know, or I get it like changes the situation a little bit, I think from, you know, like saying like, if there's 10 teams interested, then, you know, I just think it changes the dynamic. Like there's no point of saying you're interested until the new league year starts. These guys are so selfish. They're going to bid on Lamar. They're going to, someone's going to do it. I mean, these guys are trotting out like Kyle Trask and, you know, like a bunch of bums. Like there's like 15 teams who are starting like literally terrible quarterbacks. And I get, you can make the argument, oh, well, he hasn't been playing well. He's been injured a little bit. He wants a fully guaranteed contract. Like, yeah, but you'll make your money back. If you got Lamar Jackson starting over Kyle Trask, you'll at least like maybe be on the fringe of making the playoffs. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I just think that like, like that whole thing, like, yeah, of course they're going to come on and say, Oh, we're not interested for like a couple days. And then behind the scenes, they came out right working. away though. They came yeah. out so fast. They had it, it was... ready to go. They had it ready to go. They, they're going to bid saying. on it. It's so gonna, weird. Yeah. That's so weird. I, to your, I agree with you. There's no incentive to come out and say we want him, but like they had it ready to go. Like, I'm already on the phone with Diana Rossini to tell her, hey, we're not interested. Like, you know, or like she calls me. I just go ahead and say the new league year hasn't started. We have no idea. Like we have a lot of things going on. Like they can give a non-answer. But like everyone came out proactively to be like, no, we're not doing it. We're not interested. It just seemed fishy. The other interesting part to this, if I'm not mistaken, Lamar doesn't have an agent. No, so he's not. You know, with a lot of this that's going on, how much of it, and look, we know how the NFL works, especially during free agency. You have agents that put propaganda out there through their media sources and, and whatnot. Some of this could absolutely be some of these agents that are looking to maybe, hey, can I slide in there and do a deal for Lamar? You know, I, I think you, you have that angle to it. And then you also just, like, I, I just don't understand you know, how this market's moving. And I think you can place some of it squarely on Lamar's shoulders for not having an agent that's actively working for him. You know, I, I know some of these guys look at these contracts and be like, look, you know, the, the contracts are already written. I just need a comparable contract to player X that's in the, you know, the same market or maybe signed a deal last year. I just need to beat those numbers. But for Lamar's position and what he's sitting in, he needs an agent that's actively doing some some damage control for for this free agency and the way things are coming, especially if owners are out there colluding against them due to the the fully guaranteed contract, you know, hit back on on Deshaun Watson. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, it's it's so strange to, to think about. I yeah, like there could be collusion in some senses. There could not be. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that there was, you know, essentially a quarterback was blackballed from the NFL. Um, you know, I think that we've seen that before, but this is also a lot different situation because this is a 26 year old former MVP winner who's still got plenty of juice left in the tank. Not a one year flash in the pan guy who is on the wrong side of a, you know, thing that like these guys only care about money. If it'll make them money, they're going to do it. And so that at the end of the day, like, some of these options are very clear as to what's going to happen um, for better or worse. Just like that's, it is what it is. Last one that we still have to talk about is the offensive lineman market in terms of uh, first overall pick uh, looking at our odds table. You could see the Paris Johnson um, had himself a you know, decent combine. Uh, it was kind of, I think a couple of guys up there with, you know, Peter Skaronsky as well. Um, yeah. I think Scott mentioned Broderick Jones, made himself some money moving up the draft board too in terms of how he measured. This is another market that I think is going to be very interesting because I look at some of the teams towards the bottom of the first, and you can make a case for offensive line for a handful of them. So in terms of uh, Connor, I'll start with you who you think if there's a play at number one and really maybe what you think the over under for this market is going to be. Um, honestly, I think Paris Johnson is probably still the best look. It just seems like based on what we've seen from like sharp mocks that he's kind of a tier ahead of a lot of these guys. But, uh, like Scott mentioned, Broderick Jones got a ton of hype after the combine. Darnell Wright has been I mean, the drumbeat on Darnell Wright has been really wild. Um, I know Daniel Jeremiah has been pumping him up. He's shot up from like 40 to one to like 10 to one at this point, nine to nine plus nine fifty at FanDuel plus seven fifty at DraftKings. Um, I think that if you want to take a longer shot, he's probably the one. Otherwise, I think Paris Johnson is probably the good look. Skaronsky's arms came up pretty short, and that's like a big deal for, uh, I mean, a lot of teams. You know, I, I'm not an offensive line guru, but I just know that some teams care about the, that a lot. Um, so in terms of an over-under, though, I think we're looking at, you know, four and a half, five and a half maybe, because Osiris Torrance has been commonly mocked to the Jags at the end of the first round. And couple other teams but i think he's kind of like on the fringe there dewan jones as well like kind of been the, like a fringe first guy as well so yeah i would probably put it at five and a half with some juice uh you know one way so i don't know scott any any thoughts on that one yeah look I, 
going into the combine, the the way things were kind of broke down to me from an offensive line standpoint was that Skaronsky probably plays, you know, the way you want and is the most NFL ready as far as his play. But he's also probably maxed out a little bit more higher towards the top of what his potential is. Broderick Jones was going to be the guy that had the highest ceiling as far as like potential and, and the way things went. And that Paris Johnson was the best mix of those two so that he was probably the, the top overall offensive lineman. I think there's an outside shot for Broderick Jones to be the first offensive lineman taken. I, I think, you know, you, you have some things there, the way he tested and the way he looked there at the combine. I think you're going to have some people go back and look at his tape and, and see some things. And I, I think he has an outside shot. Um, and I really don't mind that plus 380 right there. Um, so that's a play that I might go ahead and, and put a little bit on, um, just a small sprinkle just to, to, to get some action on that. But, uh, you know, this is you start looking at the teams that go ahead and, and are going to need offensive linemen, specifically Tennessee. Um, and, and they're a team that I think if you start sniffing around some of the, the information that's out there, I, I think you'll be able to get some, you know, a good feel for, for which person and what player they're, they're leaning, whether that is Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones or, or you know, whatnot. Um, so I, I kind of do like the Broderick Jones play a little bit, but I think Paris Johnson right now is the favorite. You start looking at his wingspan, which a lot of GMs really care about for that left tackle position. And he came in with an 85 and a 18th wingspan, which is 95th percentile for offensive linemen. So I, I think right now he's the leader in the clubhouse, but I don't mind the Broderick Jones numbers there. This is going to be another market where I think the total in the first round is really interesting because if you look at a variety of mocks that are out there, you skipping down, like Osiris Torrance has been mocked pretty commonly in the mid to, to late first. You'll see some mocks with Anton Harrison up there pretty comfortably. Somebody's not even there. Uh, there, you know, Dewan Jones is another one that had a really nice combine uh, with some of his measurables. There are some teams that just maybe need a center and some people really love John Michael Schmitz. Um, and you've seen some of him even late in the first round. So, you know, maybe he becomes, you know, kind of a, a teetering point in terms of what the number is. Some teams love uh, Cody Munch, the kid from uh, North Dakota state who has a little bit of that, like Cole strong in him in terms of, uh, you know, interior offensive lineman that is not necessarily uh, sexy measurables, but, you know, the tape is, is pretty good. So it's actually a pretty interesting class. A lot of these guys are going, uh, you know, mid to late first and, and mid second, but in terms of over under, it's going to be an interesting market to, to kind of see how that populates. So it's going to be, you know, any leans, I'll go to you, Scott here in terms of what that number will be posted at. Yeah. I, I think that that number is going to come out at, at four and a half is where I think um, when I start looking at, at who, who's kind of there right now, you're talking about Joan, I mean, Johnson, Skronsky, Jones and, and Torrance, you know, we talked about uh, Michael Smith's kind of moving that, but I, I think this, not this line is going to come in at four and a half. And I, I think you're going to have, it's going to be a tight, it's really going to be a play where I, I don't think you get to six. It's either going to be five or it's going to be four. And you're going to have to really keep your ears to, you know, to what's going on, you know, leading up to that draft. Um, so, so that line, that specific over and under is a, is a line that I would wait closer to draft day to go ahead and bet as far as the offensive linemen go, because you're going to start hearing some things the closer you get, that's going to give you a lot better information to go ahead and make that decision as what side of that to bet. But I think it's going to be tight at four and a half. Yeah. And betting these markets with the total over under of positions, I mean, can be really sweaty. You mentioned it earlier, but like we bet over one and a half safeties last year. And then the last two picks of the first round, Lewis seen, uh, you know, finally went and like, you Dax know, Hill. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Dax Hill and Lewis seen who I like, you have to feel like you have a really good edge. So I felt like we took over one and a half. I thought both of those guys were very much live to be middle to end of late round, first round picks. So we had kind of two outs. Thankfully, you know, both of them came in somehow. One of them, you know, I thought one of them went for sure, but you kind of like you have to feel really good about a Osiris Torrance here to take over four and a half or Dewan Johnson or Anton Harrison. Like, I don't think it's enough to be like, well, I think one of them will go, you know, like I there are multiple outs, but like you got to feel good about it and some team matches as well. So that's kind of how I start building it. Um, you know, they don't have those markets out yet, but I do think, you know, four and a half juice towards the over five and a half juice towards the under uh, pretty heavy would make a lot of sense. There's some interior uh, defensive linemen that could be, you know, populating down in that range too. It's a position that, you know, there's some teams down there late, uh, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Philadelphia, uh, New Orleans that could use uh, that position that can change 
the calculus of it too. So uh, it is definitely a sweaty market, uh, but definitely one that is fun to bet on and uh, one that uh, I think Scott's point is correct. That, you know, we those markets are going to populate. We're going to feel like firing into them right away, you know, unless the books make a mistake and hang it, you know, a full player lower than we're thinking. You're best off to wait. Again, like the point I made at the top, these there's some out there right now, and I'm not going to tell you not to do that. Personally, and this might surprise you, I'm not a big gambler. I don't love going to play craps. Um, I don't want to go play, um, you know, I like to bet on the ponies, but I don't like to like do random things like that. I want to have an edge. I want to feel like I have some knowledge and some information. So I love to bet, uh, but I don't love to gamble. And I feel like right now, I feel like we're gambling a little bit. I feel like we have some information, but again, without being at free agency, without being at, you know, some of these things happening pro days, we are still a little bit, of straight gambling. And I think that there are definitely ways to do this in a smarter way. Let the market take, take shape very different. And I think our friend, um, you know, VR Vegas refund had said this too, like, you know, it, it's not necessarily a situation we like to do. You know, to hear Connor and I touting a lot of like, Hey, minus 200 on this player prop, or we're going to take this money line because we love, you know, this side. But I think information betting is a little different than, you know, sides and totals where I'm a little bit more comfortable feeling like I have an edge with some information and I'm going to lay some juice in a spot. Maybe I wouldn't typically do that on a typical NFL bet. So be patient, proceed with caution, um, you know, have fun, do what you got to do, but like, wait, we're going to get more information. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's because, and you mentioned it a little bit here, but a minus 200 bet that should be minus infinity is way more valuable than a plus 300 bet that should be like minus 110. Uh, you know, it's like one, when you know the answer, if you have the answer, just, just bet it, you know, like bet it, max it out. And we will have a lot of the answers or like a 99% lean on something that we're very, very confident, uh, barring, you know, a crazy gas mask or something else, uh, you know, happening on draft day. That's a good point. Uh, Scott, anything else for the folks before we wrap it up? Look, I, I think we're, we're talking about a lot of the stuff that in reactions that happen from the combine, I think something that's important is not to make too big of a lean one way or another from any information that's coming out of the combine. What I've typically seen over the last few years is the way it usually works is you have the pre-combine hype, you have the post-combine hype. So that's the phase that we're in right now. A lot of the real information is going to start coming out here over this next week. So I'll be digging in deep to, to getting into some of the information that I have and some of the scoops and, and lines that I have open to, to get some information um, and, and just digging deep over this next week. I think that's where a lot of information and you're going to be able to start getting some of these leans that are going to make the, the whole big picture clear for some of the teams and some of the players that are going to go within the top 10 and some of these other other positions. Um, you know, pay attention to some of these beat writers. You know, they're, they're small nuggets that are mixed into things that don't seem like they, they're that big of a deal. And just some of the player talk from that you hear from GMs and, and, and coaches like can can very much sway exactly the information that, that you're looking for based upon how they describe some of these players. Um, the last thing I'll say, look, we, we kind of talked about it a little bit. The two teams that I think you need to be paying attention to most right now is going to be Indianapolis and Carolina. And I think they're the two teams that are going to be the most in play to go ahead and move up. Uh, Connor and I talked about it, you know, as far as that first overall pick goes, is Chicago going to want to move all the way down with Carolina? I, I don't know if that's too deep, but I think Carolina is the most desperate team to move up and get a quarterback right now. Um, and I think Indianapolis is going to be the other team that you're, you're really looking at moving into to that top spot. These other teams, when we're talking about Houston and, you know, looking at a quarterback, it's just a matter of how are they grading out you know, Stroud versus, you know, Bryce Young. Is, is there that big a big of a difference in, in what their their overall grade is to, to make a decision to move up? I don't really see it with these top two guys, but for a team like Indianapolis and a team like Carolina, I think they're going to have to make a move to go up and get their guy. Love it. Can't wait. We're going to be back next week to do it all again. Another week, more information. Again, Listening to the audio version of the podcast, we appreciate it. Subscribe there, uh, comments, reviews. We appreciate all that. We have a new YouTube channel, 444 Bets. Uh, if you want to check out 444 Football, lots of other great fantasy content. You can get more prospects. How does this relate to fantasy football? How does this relate to Dynasty League football? All of those things on the 444 Football YouTube page. 444 Bets will continue to have more relevant betting content. A reminder again, 
444.com slash plans is the way to get the betting subscription. It gets you literally everything on our site. Again, best way to get access to that. You jump in our Discord, you get push notifications. Connor, Scott, and I make bets. Boom, you get a notification on your phone. You don't have to be sweating this like we are. Uh, we get paid to do this, and we get to do it for you. So we want to help drag you along and help make some money for you. You want to get it for just a taste, a little bit cheaper, a little short subscription, 15 bucks over at Vivid. Go into your app store, download Vivid. It's a pick'em game. If you're familiar with it, uh, parlay uh, pick'ems for any sport. Connor's going to be hammering out college basketball stuff for you here too. You can make some money on Vivid. $15 deposit. Promo code 444BETS is going to get you that betting subscription for just a couple of months. Get you a taste of all of that. So uh, for Connor and Scott, I'm Ryan. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.